politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew. Not just to make noise and fight, but to fight for results. Results. That's what we're hoping here at CR Podcast. It is Wednesday. And obviously the world has changed since yesterday. Or did it? Or did it? Well, Daniel, of course it did. We don't, there's no speaker. There's chaos in the house. Actually, in the scheme of things, the same debt inflation insolvency, border insolvency, cultural insolvency, life, liberty, health insolvency, our healthcare system, they're attacking our bodies. We can't take another year of any of this. We can't take a year of 25% of high schoolers thinking they're a sexual alphabet soup licentious uh, behavior that can't procreate. We can't spend another year on 4 million, 5 million illegal aliens. Another year on trillions in debt and inflation and the destruction of housing, cars, energy, way of life. That was true before and it's true today. So the bigger question than who we need as speaker is how are we going to deal with at least some of these problems? Now, we can't wait. Now, the speaker's fight obviously ties into that. And as I always say, when things look hopeless, God does give you opportunities that you have to be ready to harness. So what should we be doing right now? What should we be looking for in a speaker? What should be our focus? I know a lot of you have a lot of questions. I want to unpack this in a way, as always, you're not going to find anywhere else. For once, people will be talking about congressional affairs today on the right. But again, not the way we do it here. We're going to go through how we got here. Um, what the pitfalls are with, you know, what did occur yesterday, but more forward-looking, whether it was the right strategy or not, we are where we are now. What do we do with it headed forward? Now, folks, I'm always trying to find ways, forward-looking ways, to improve our health as well. We have a new sponsor, NeuroHacker. They have a product called Qualia Synolytic. Synolytic. Okay, so what? what is that? I'm pushing 40, you know, getting closer to 40, and it's just, you, you just don't feel like you used to when you reach that age. You'll often wake up tired even if you've got enough sleep that night. You'll have random aches and pains that you can't really identify where they came from, uh, slow workout recoveries, sluggish energy throughout the day. It's because when we age, we accumulate um, senescent cells. And these senescent cells are like zombie cells that are old and worn out and they serve no useful function and they kind of degrade everything, much like the pruning uh, or the yellowing of uh, dead leaves of a plant. Uh, What qualia synolytic does is it removes these worn out cells to allow the rest of the body to thrive. I mean, we obviously see anyone who watches older people who got all these vaccines, they age like anything. It accelerated. Now, that's natural, but it's even worse now. So whether you got the shot or you didn't, uh, this is a great product. You go to neurohacker.com slash conservative, and here's the deal. For up to $100 off, uh, you could use promo code conservative at checkout for additional 15% off. So that's neurohacker.com slash conservative for an extra 15% off 
your purchase. Here's what I like. A lot of these things you got to take every day and there's fatigue with it. This is just two days a month. It's non-GMO, gluten-free, um, you know, all the ingredients are natural and it's a hundred day money back guarantee. So if you, you're like, hey, I don't see uh, results, they give you a pretty long shelf life. They're a hundred days to return it. Um, again, you don't have to age that quickly. There is amazing technology. This technology just came out in the last 10 years. So again, go to neurohacker.com slash conservative and then promo code conservative for an extra 15% off your purchase. Okay, so so obviously this is a complicated scenario where you have a lot of people that are like, well, anyone in the MAGA movement is amazing. So Matt Gates is a MAGA guy, so I love him. And there's no pitfalls here. Then you have other people who are going to be like, this is terrible. We had this beautiful Republican Party slated to win amazing elections. McCarthy was doing so much good stuff. And now we have all this chaos and the Democrats are going to win and you join with the Democrats. And no, no. Okay, that that's obviously nonsense. We were doing nothing good. We had no path to saving ourselves um, Republicans were losing elections, so both electorally and policy-wise, we weren't winning anything. We need a big change. We need a big change. Uh, there's no question about that. A lot of these arguments are pathetic, and we'll try to go through some of them, uh, some of the arguments about what did happen, and then talk about what should happen, what ought to happen. Now, obviously, I have been a big fan of getting rid of McCarthy. In fact, it, I... I Put out last night, I dug up tweets of mine from eight, nine years ago opposing his ascendancy to majority leader from Majority Whip when Eric Cantor was defeated, and I was a part of that campaign to defeat Eric Cantor in Virginia. So I've been doing this for a long time. What I disagreed with was the strategy of the person and the timing. Um, not that I had any problems of, oh, we're doing great things, but more because I wanted to focus on cornering McCarthy on a budget fight to A, make it more likely we'll win the budget fight. But if we don't, we would have a stronger hand coming into replacing him than we do now. And everything that has occurred has actually affirmed my concern. Now, look, I said very clearly, when you have a disagreement over strategy, if one side pulls the trigger and you know pursues their strategy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to support it because... It is what it is, and we got to make the best of it. But I just want to, not so much to dump on Matt Gates and what did happen, but to navigate what, what we want to happen, I want to talk about the pitfalls of this. The one thing I didn't see coming was McCarthy himself resigning. I thought he would hold on and, you know, run again and force as many ballots as possible and just, you know, get renominated by conference and then force it to the floor again and again. You know, so that didn't happen. And we could talk about why McCarthy gave up. Maybe he just finally felt it's just not worth it anymore. Maybe different reasons. Whether he intended this or not, whether this was his intention, he actually helped the establishment by resigning. He helped them in a, in a way that really does harm our ability to navigate this. So it's actually the same outcome, but a little different way of why I was concerned about doing this. You see, let me give you another scenario. Let's say you went the Chip Roy scenario, where you had a unifying CR that the Dems would have rejected. We had a government shutdown, and then McCarthy caves. And then you could get a guy like Chip Roy to run for speaker. He has rapport with everyone. 
unifies everyone. Look, he screwed us. And everyone who is a part of that whip team and that leadership team is implicated in it. And then, boom, <clears throat> they're out the door. And then you push him out with someone completely new, like a Chip Roy. The problem now is, as I warned, the entire rest of the conference is hopping mad. They're hopping mad at Matt Gates and the people who joined him. And also, this was perceived as just a McCarthy thing. So what are they doing now? They're lining up for the next in line like they always do. And let me say this. The strongest argument against the speaker's fight was always this. Was always the fact that, look, I know you don't like Boehner. I know you don't like Ryan. I know, I know you don't like McCarthy. But the end of the day, they're not inherently the problem. They're a reflection of the problem. The problem is the conference, right? As you well know, um, for majority leader, majority whip, and even speaker, although but speaker ultimately is done on the floor, and you could use Democrat opposition as leverage to get a couple of Republicans, you know, 20 Republicans, in this case only eight, uh, to to block his speakership. But at least in conference for speaker, and then, you know, the other positions are party positions, so they're they're cemented in conference. So these are private votes. So no one knows how you vote. And historically, whenever we tried to challenge with a conservative challenger, we would lose like 170 to 40. Okay? I mean, it's overwhelming they support the next in line. We don't have support. We know that. And that's always been a problem. So the argument was you're just going to get another the same thing. Like, who are you going to get? So what, the way I answered that in January is I said, look – if you go and you use this leverage very clearly and you have broader support for against the status quo, you could at least bring in someone new that might not be a full concert like one of us, but more of a consensus guy. And the guy we were gunning for ultimately in January was Kevin Hearn. And that name is going to come up a little bit now, and we'll talk about that. Kevin Hearn is the chairman of the Republican Study Committee. Basically, you have the Freedom Caucus with like 35 members on the right. You have the Rhino Tuesday group with 40, 50 on the left. And the RSC is kind of the broad conference that claims to be conservative, but they don't really want to fight for anything. So the idea was he was just elected as the chairman of the largest caucus in the entire House conference. So, you know, he would be a good consensus candidate. And at least it wouldn't be the status quo. And, and that's what we were ultimately hoping for. The problem the way this was done, that it was done as a personality thing against McCarthy, or at least perceived by the guy who is leading it, whether it's right or wrong, and the fact that the setup to this is in a way that people sympathize with him, now what they're going to do is they're just going to go the next in line. And the problem is, I've already seen Matt Gates himself almost be like, I'll agree to anyone. I just don't want McCarthy. And, and that's a problem. Because I, wa I want to set, set this up. There are four sorts of candidates that you can get. There are four types of candidates that you can get. The best one is one of our own. The most likely. 
and that is Chip Roy. When I say the most likely, I mean you're not going to get Matt Gates. Obviously, no one's going to support him. You're not going to get you know someone who's less articulate. Chip is sincere, articulate. He hasn't burnt bridges with other members. He's resolute. He's respected for his beliefs. It's very hard to get someone like him for them to agree. I actually think had we followed Chip's plan and McCarthy betrayed us even then, he could have become speaker. Now it's going to be harder because now we're facing 180 members or at least 150 who will say, now we're going to play hardball with you. We're not going to agree to any of your people. So that is kind of a problem. I was like, oh, we, we got rid of McCarthy. It was so easy. Well, that was never a problem. It only took five votes. So you're always, we always had the votes. The question was, now we, we didn't think he would give up and not run again. But the question is, all right, but then, you know, if you don't have a broader narrative that you built and you don't go with your best person forward, your best image, your best fight, your best issue and your best timing. Right. Because remember, right now, unlike at the beginning, they're very desperate. It's a middle of session. They want to end this chaos and they want to coalesce. So they're going to just they're already working on it to elevate. Steve Scalise. Okay, so. Just getting back to it, four types of people. The best is one of our own. And the most likely you could ever hope for is a guy like Chip. I can't think of anyone else on our side among the maybe 20 or so you would want who would have the broadest appeal, but, I mean, as it's not very broad with these rhinos, but, you know, the most realistic and, and share our values and articulate it and be sincere about it. That's the best thing. Then... The next thing is a strategic establishment guy. Okay, an establishment guy who will strategically work with us. He just, I, I love being speaker, that's great, and he'll give us what we want. Now, the problem is you don't have articulation. And, and this is ultimately why I'm not into these like 3D chess, oh, let's get this Tom Emmer, he'll work with us, like... Let's go and rally behind Chip Roy. Let's at least try. Because ultimately you can't win a fight if you don't have a leader articulating our position. And none of these guys will ever do it. And that's always the problem. Then they panic because they don't have a narrative and then they they screw us even when we have a power sharing agreement. But that's the second thing is you have a guy who's you know, a, a establishment guy, but he'll strategically will be able to get some power. The third rung is a straight up rhino that maybe isn't as strategic, but at least there's no respect for him, and we could kind of build support to oppose bad things he does. The number four worst thing you can get is someone that has broad respect as a conservative, but he's really when it in the way it matters at the time it matters, he's not really or not in a practical sense, and it'll stab us in the back. That's your Steve Scalise, and that's your Jim Jordan. And guess what? Those are the two top candidates as of midday today on Wednesday, October 4th. We'll see what happens. I'm just going to tell you, if we are faced with a Scalise or Jordan choice, just going to tell you, we are in a worse off position 
than what we could have done with McCarthy boxing him in on Chip Roy's strategy. Because either we would have gotten more or we would have had an ability to upend the system. See, here's the thing. When you go through upending McCarthy through a righteous fight, what happens is all the guys that the establishment conservatives would want that are kind of next in line, Scalise literally next in line, Jordan more conceptually and perception, you know, that he was always been bantied about as the conservative leader for, for so many years already, and now is his time. But as long as you have McCarthy there, none of those guys were ever going to go up against him. That was the beauty of it. So sometimes, like, even during the January fight, they nominated Jim Jordan, but it, was, it wasn't real because he was never going to do it because he wasn't going to challenge the status quo. He never will. Now that there's an opening, suddenly he wants it. Pathetic. When we, di- when we begged him for, this is going back to 23- January 2013. This has been 10 years we've been begging him to, to use his respect in the conference to fight Boehner and then Ryan, and then it, never wanted to do it. Never wanted to do it. Now, finally, oh, he sees an opening. But then that's when we could have gotten one of our own or maybe a strategic thing like Kevin Hearn. But here, you're facing basically people who will have more respect. And now it's like, what, you're going to down them too? They're not conservative enough? On paper, it's very hard to fight them. It's, it's a similar thing we had with Paul Ryan. Now everyone's a hero. Paul Ryan's a rhino. But back then, he was regarded as a conservative thinker. I didn't, but most people did. So, like I told you with the story, Ron DeSantis, ironically, did not join the Boehner fight because he was concerned we'd wind up getting Ryan, who on paper might be you know, somewhat more conservative than, than Boehner, but strategically, it would make us eat more crap sandwiches. And he ironically turned out to be right, and that's what happened. I foresee a similar problem here. So I I just want to say that's why a lot of these guys, I want to make it clear, only five of the original 21 actually joined this. Four others joined Gates. And some of them are friends of mine. Bob Good, Matt Gates, Rosendale, and um, uh, Eli, uh, Eli, uh, what's his name? Not Klein. Um... Maybe his client. I'm just forgetting. I'm drawing a blank here from Arizona. He's a freshman. Only five. Mo- so the overwhelming majority of the original ones did not join this. Not because they don't want to get rid of McCarthy. Not because they they don't want to change the status quo. They felt we had a better strategy, and I agreed with that. I, I know I've been tough on Lauren Boebert <laughs> uh, recently about her personal life, but you know when she yelled out during the call. No, for now, meaning I'm against the motion to vacate for now. That's kind of the sentiment where a lot of them were. Dan Bishop, who has been along with Matt Gates as a hardliner, taking down the rules and everything, he ultimately came to that position as well. He's like, better to focus on the budget fight now, corner McCarthy, then we'll have more leverage. I agree with that. I still agree with it. But with that said, I never like, you know, being sour grapes. No, I want to make this work. I want to make this work. But I'm just telling you, the challenge we have now is we're now going to have to continuously say no, which is going to be harder and harder. Scalise and Jim Jordan. 
Pick your poison. Pick your poison. So I want to go through the options that are being bantied about and why we need to pick Chip Roy or at least fight for him and then who would be a backup option. But then ultimately what this all means is about a lot more than just speaker. It's about more than just speaker. First, our other sponsor today is Policy Genius. At my stage of life, you know, this is something very uncomfortable. When I got four young kids, I'm the primary breadwinner, and you know, you gotta you gotta deal with life insurance. It's not something that you could ignore. Most people do not get nearly enough coverage from their employer plan if you even have it. Uh, you got to go and shop around. Rates are going up. A lot of them require a long process, medical exams. What Policy Genius has done for a lot of our people in the audience is they're not an insurance company, but they aggregate for you right away. Within a few minutes, you you punch in your your information, your your you know status of life, and boom. They spit back at you apples to apples comparisons, and you could find insurance policies that start at just $292 a year for a million in coverage, because that's often what you need for a family, especially nowadays. You know, I I, I, I started off originally with 500000 but for four kids, I mean, you really need at least a million and some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. You could see it. They compare it. They save you time. They also have licensed award-winning agents that you could call. You could actually speak to someone, work it out, talk with them. Um, Policy Genius is for parents. It's for caregivers. It's for anyone else who has people who depend upon them. Go to policygenius.com slash Daniel, um, and that will take you to the URL where, again, within minutes, you could find the coverage. If you don't have it, it's really something that you need to look into. Uh, they have thousands of five-star ratings for good reason. Your loved ones deserve a financial safety net, and you deserve a smarter way to find and buy it at policygenius.com slash Daniel. So, all right. So, so the lead candidate is Steve Scalise. If the election were held today, it's going to be held in in, uh, in about a week, Um. Steve Scalise is going to win the conference vote. So first they vote in conference. And already they just announced they're all going to move up. Scalise is going to run for speaker. Emmer, whose whip will go to majority leader. And deputy whip, Rochelle's Lochler, whatever his name is from Pennsylvania. Um, big Rhino, big Tuesday group guy. He's going to go up wants to run for whip. So same thing, just like they did with Cantor, just like every single time we took out a leader, they just bring the next one in line. Scalise obviously was a part of, um, was a part of the same leadership team, Trump, Ryan, McCarthy, and Scalise. Scalise was whip back then. Now he's majority leader that governed with Democrat support with all the budget bills, squandered the trifecta support, it's it's absurd. He's he's very inarticulate. The only thing about him is that he's perceived as a little bit more ideologically conservative than McCarthy, which just makes him even more dangerous than McCarthy because he has no desire to fight where it matters and the way it matters. He doesn't really understand our issues. He doesn't believe in them. He's not articulate. He's not a guy you need with equal and opposing force against the Democrats. He offers nothing more than McCarthy. Um, in, in fact, you'll just have weaker fundraising prowess. You know, McCarthy at least was a fundraiser. And uh, 
and he'll, it will be harder to fight against him. Okay, so that's but 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 he is the front runner, and we're gonna have to say no. And 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 again, we now have to recognize. Um, I, I want to make it clear: I'm not making the argument of some of my colleagues like this is terrible. We need an option. Who's gonna be speaking? Oh, there's options, all right. I, I don't I don't care about the chaos. The chaos is the breach of the social compact. I don't care that we're going a week to sort this out. Frankly, as I said yesterday, they weren't even scheduled to be in session this week. So you're literally not even losing floor time. It's a joke. I mean, you could say technically some of the committee work grinds to a halt that would have, but but you know, th- that's meaningless compared to what we're facing. I don't care about that. We need we need to do surgery. We need to do surgery. And I'm all for doing surgery. It's just what we do have to navigate here is that you're just going to go to the next in line. And let, let's just say for a minute you have a vote between, and it's still very fluid, Scalise, Jordan, um, let's say a Freedom Caucus guy like Byron Donalds, tries to throw his hat in the ring. And let's say somewhere in between the current leadership and Freedom Caucus, a guy like Kevin Hearn, who's RSC chair, runs as well. And you have a four-person race. You know, ultimately, now they do a few rounds, and after the first round, they'll drop the lowest vote-getter in, in conference. But ultimately... You know, any multi-person race will split off Jim Jordan's vote and make Scalise even stronger. But even one-on-one, Scalise and Jordan, Scalise is going to easily have the votes. Easily, easily, easily have the votes. You know, I, 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 if I had to guess, if the election were one-on-one between the two of them, I'd put it at something like... Mm, 150 to, 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 to 70. 150 to 70. Scalise versus Jordan. And I'm not even getting to Jordan yet that he actually is a big problem. But the perception that he's the most conservative electable option. So what, what are we going to do? So we get crushed in conference. And it's not we. But let's just say for a minute we support Jordan. What do you do? You go out to the floor again and oppose it? I mean we could. We could. You know, Democrats will vote for Hakeem Jeffries. Um, now, again, to be clear, Hakeem Jeffries will never become a speaker because unlike the motion to vacate, the motion, you just need a plurality. To elect a speaker, you need a majority of those present and voting. So just to be clear, it's, it's no problem of the Democrats winning. I mean, I'm hearing these, you're helping the Democrats. This doesn't help the Democrats. I mean, the Democrats enjoy the chaos, so that's why they didn't bail out McCarthy. But it doesn't help them more than Republicans are already helping them. Okay, it's worth sorting this out. My argument, my concern is we're just going to get another either establishment guy or fake conservative that's even worse because we have even less leverage over him than we did McCarthy. That is my concern. So, you know, my concern is that people like Matt Gates, even the guys who led this are going to feel this pressure that, look, I got what I wanted. I can't be perceived as if I'm opposing another guy. You know what I'm saying? When you do it like a thief in the middle of the night where you don't have any support, it's such a small level of support. 
It's not like you're doing with 25 and then there's another 50, 70 that really agree with you, but they just didn't want the chaos. But now now the, the, they're all behind you. McCarthy just screwed us on something either right after the debt ceiling deal or you wait for the budget. You do it now. You're going to have very little leverage. No, not him, not him, not him. I mean, the, the establishment at some point, they have 10 times the numbers. They're going to play hardball. In other words, the same way we have the ability to use the Democrats to block with just potentially as little as as few as five people, they have 150 people, you know what I mean, to to block. So that that that's what we're going to have to contend with, and that's why we wanted a better climate, a better rallying cry, better face of the opposition, and better timing. Not because oh, I'm scared of the chaos, and oh, we can't, the Democrat, helping the Democrat. No, 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 that's all nonsense. This is the problem. I want the best outcome. But this is assuming Jim Jordan's even the hero. My concern is if it becomes a race with this, Trump's going to endorse Jordan. The entire MAGA talk radio show list is going gonna, is gonna to talk about him. F- first of all, I still don't think he'd get the votes, but let's say he does, or he has enough support that we could threaten, in other words, even if Scalise has the majority in conference, but we could threaten because Trump support to, to take him down on the, the floor, and then they they acquiesce to Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan would be the same problem we have with Scalise, but even worse, because he's even more regarded as a conservative. But I will tell you, Jim Jordan gutted, gutted the weaponization committee. We were originally going to get a weaponization committee as separate from judiciary that was run by either someone like Chip Roy or or Dan Bishop, and they would have gone into the vaccines, gone into January 6th, and things like that. Instead, it was under the auspices of Jim Jordan, who is the full committee chair, but then he also had to become, made himself the subcommittee chair, and it got completely gutted to the point that Chip just, just left it. He just left it. He's on rules. Some other things. He's like, done. Nothing was getting done. It's, it's become a joke. You don't even hear about it anymore. It's a complete, utter joke. Not doing anything of, of substance. Jim Jordan is just a wind-up toy talking point machine from Mr. Trump. Okay, just, just nothing. There, there's just nothing there. It was always for 10 years this perception about him He's really, in many respects, the new Paul Ryan. He might sound different, but the equivalent of what Paul Ryan was to the time we lived in 10 years ago, that's what Jim Jordan is today. But you you nominate him as speaker, we have no leverage. It's all going to be about Trump. He's never going to really fight when it matters. That's the thing. You know, it, it, it just, it's just classic, classic, you know, he, he, he kind of represents Trump. Let, 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 let me at least say this about Matt Gates. I don't think Matt Gates is ultimately the type of man that could strategically govern in a way that will get our outcomes. I also think his personality and baggage is not a winning strategy in the long term for us to change hearts and minds or even just win red states with our point of view. 
But I do have to give him credit and do have to concede that he is a rare breed in the MAGA movement that whatever else he is going on with him, he has the guts and glory to do it. And he'll actually, you know, he'll, he does know the issues. He does study. He, so he is everything that the Trump people think Trump is, but Trump isn't. They're always like, well, Danny, you might not be the best conservative, but he's a agent for burning things down. I'm like, no, he's the consummate institutionalist. And he actually fears chaos. You might've even heard him. Oh, why are we always fighting? Let's not you know, get rid of Kevin. I, to, to be clear, it's funny how the MAGA people are making Matt Gates out to be a hero, but at the same time, they, they, you know, Trump's the ultimate here. One is not like the other. They're very different. Matt Gates really knows the issues. He'll fight for it. Now, you have the other aspects of MAGA that are problematic, which is the personal baggage and just some of these other things that needlessly turn people off. But I gotta, I gotta say, like, he'll, he'll do it. You know, years ago, I, um, this guy, Joseph Humeyer, who's been one of my policy experts we bring on about Hezbollah, Latin American affairs, and things like that. I actually got him from um, Matt Gates's office years ago when he held a hearing on Hezbollah in, in Latin America. So, I mean, he, he does delve into the issues. He does, you know, propose amendments. And so unlike most of these others are just brain dead and often will go along with the establishment, he'll at least be that guy. He will burn it down. But he's a rare breed. But that's the thing with him. Jim Jordan is not like that. Jim Jordan is more like a Trump. You'll get the establishment just with the Trump talking points and turn people off and whatever. So it's just going to become a Trump protection racket. And it will make it impossible for us to go up against him. What, he's not good enough for you? You guys, I think, get the point on Jim Jordan. That's going to be very hard to win over the public on that. So now we're screwed. Now we're screwed. So then there's the other thing, which is Tom Emmer, okay? So Tom Emmer is the current whip. Now, I have to rely on private conversations I've had with some of the, you know, better members that are, you know, part of the 21 original people who fought McCarthy. And a lot of them seem to be very bullish on Tom Emmer. Now, you might say, well, isn't he like an open kind of Tuesday group guy, voted for gay marriage? Of course, of course. But the two things I have heard about him and, and enough of the guys that you and I, you know, agree with and trust have said this privately, they actually like Tom Emmer. And what they like about him is he fits into that second category, the second best option. Openly not one of us. But they'll get the most power out of him. And the thing is, they really credit him with, if, if you noticed, whenever we got all these bills, whether it's a standalone or these budget bills where we got all this conservative stuff, how did we not have a rhino rebellion? We only had the rhinos rebel on one thing, the ag uh, appropriate bill. They rebelled on that. But surprisingly, they held. They credit Tom Emmer that he, he just... He got it done. He was a really excellent whip, just mechanically. Very good at, at being a whip. Very good at that job. Very good at keeping the conference together. And they seem to have a lot of faith in him, very ironically. In other words, a, a lot of people, and I know certain talk show hosts put this out when 
you know, they bashed people like Andy Biggs for lending the the conservative support for um, Tom Emmer over Jim Banks uh, for for WHIP. If you remember, that was the only close vote. And they blamed some of the Freedom Caucus guys for ironically supporting Emmer because on paper, um, Banks is much more conservative. But anyone who knows the situation on the ground there understands that Jim Banks is the consummate snake. And he would have totally stabbed our guys in the back. And they were actually right on, on that choice. I mean, to pick your poison between the two of them to go with Tom Emmer, ironically. Again, this is this is a little bit 3D chess, but this is what you got to play sometimes. You can't have a subversive guy. That's the worst. And by the way, it's no surprise that Jim Banks is one of the earliest supporters of, you got it, Jim Jordan. He is kind of like that. It's a very big problem. So, so I know people like Andy Biggs are very bullish on Tom Emmer. Now, the problem is Tom Emmer himself... It, and and smartly from his perspective, he's like, well, why go up against Scalise when he has more support when I'll just support him and climb climb the ladder? So I won't be number three. I'll be number two. I won't vie for number one, but then I'll just be one step away. You know, at the end of the day, all these guys care about is themselves. So it's understandable. And that's what he's doing. But that still is an option in the background that if we balk at Scalise, Again, I want, to, I want to be very clear. To me, none of this is the right way to go. We need to go and rally behind Chip Roy. At least make an effort for it. And I want to explain why in a minute. But as a backup, I want to make it very clear, and I know this is going to sound very funny to a lot of people. I would support, from what I'm hearing, a guy like Tom Emmer over a guy like, over someone like Scalise, and someone like Jordan. We will have much more leverage over him. He has been very adept to holding the conference together for our sorts of votes. And the reality is he's going to be less of a conduit for Trump, which is a problem in, in, in its own right, like Jim Jordan would be, at least from my perspective. Obviously, those who support Trump um, but agree with me on the other parts of this would disagree with that. But but I would say that's strategically also there. You know, so that would be definitely an option. Um, you know, the other option, as we said, is is Hearn, Kevin Hearn from Oklahoma. He's the RSC chair. Um, I don't know enough about him other than he's another guy that I think would be totally new and more amendable to what we want to do. Um, how articulate and passionate he would be for our position, I don't know. But that leads me to ultimately, ultimately we need to stop with this, oh, let's get this strategic thing. Let's get someone who could sincerely and articulately give our position. You know, until now we would have laughed. Chip Roy, there's no way he could win. But why not stand behind him? Matt Gates, to his credit, has moved the Overton window over. With what he's doing, he makes Chip Roy in the way the establishment thinks, look very sane, right? So, you know, this, this, is, this is the thing. Let me say this about Chip. And this is ultimately where we need to go. The Chip Roy, Ron DeSantis paradigm. Where you have the guy that truly believes in our ability to do things, 
truly wants to govern and has the strategic vision to govern. Because ultimately, I'm fine with burning things down as long as we're not in the building. The problem is we are. We don't, like, if we had a place that we could retreat to, I'd say, yeah, let's just burn them all down. But we don't. We don't. So we need, we need governing. I don't mean in, in the establishment-y way of using that term. But I mean in the real sense. But unlike some of the others maybe on the, on the right, he's very articulate. He's very passionate. And everyone respects his sincerity. Let me say this. There is guys like Don Bacon and, and David Joyce, the Rhino leaders. At the end of the day, you got to deal with them. I mean, we, it, it is what it is. I mean, I've worked for years. I actually tried to primary David Joyce t- two years last decade. Um, I, I, I've been all over the place with these people. But because no one joined me and because we supported all these idiots for leadership, this is what we have. So you got to keep them on the reservation to some degree. They, do, they don't respect people like Matt Gates. They do respect people like Chip Roy. Now, would they would they ultimately give in and support him for speaker? I mean, I don't know, but we have to try. He is the only... What I'm trying to say is I'm not saying it just because I'm friends with him and, and because he's supporting DeSantis. I would totally support a guy who's, who, who endorsed Trump. You know, as long as he's not going to skew the agenda towards him. I just don't see anyone else that there's even a remote possibility. Like, I know Byron Donalds has... has um expressed support and look i would support byron over all those other aforementioned names but chip is going to be at the end of the day better on vision better on ideology better on consistency less baggage and and yes i mean he didn't endorse trump that's the reality i mean if if you want to rally behind if chip doesn't run or they want to everyone wants to rally behind byron i'll join that we got to rally behind someone but the point is what we've been lacking for so many years is you have a a uh, Democrat that pounds the lectern, pounds the lectern. You're killing grandma. You're killing the poor. You're hateful. You're doing this. You're doing that. And we have no counter narrative. You listen to Chip and he gives our position on what you're doing to the people on inflation and, and the border and all this stuff and the clot shots. But he does it in a way that he's not viewed as a lunatic, unfairly or fairly so. Remember, Chip used to hold a very problematic district, the type of suburban district in Texas that we were losing. He is the most conservative person to have held that sort of district in 2018 and 2020, very bad years. He doubled Trump's performance in that district. He won the district by 6.6 points, Against Wendy Davis, very well known, very well funded, he was outspent two to one, one and he overperformed. Why? Because some of those clearly there was a percentage of those swing voters in the suburban district that wasn't happy with the GOP in general. They recoil from Trump, recoil from some of his supporters. Look at Chip. Maybe disagreed with him on some issues. But they're like, you know what? He looks like he really does care about the people. He really does have a vision. He's really sincere. There's no drama. There's no baggage. It's just what you see is what you get. That's the case to be made, that he actually has that appeal.
I mean, again, it's the same paradigm that got DeSantis to win by 20 in Florida and to win Palm Beach County. That's the type of paradigm we need. Is Chip perfect? Is DeSantis perfect? No. But to me, that is the best you could get. And I think that is ultimately what we need to fight for. And that's what I'm going to make the case. Chip is the one who has been leading every fight. He's been articulating it. Look, if this is the best we can get, a Tom Emmer, I take it. A Kevin Hearn, I take it. But the problem is with this whole thing, it never works ultimately to say strategically, well, as long as they don't get in the way of our fight, they'll be the speaker. But you can't have a bungling fool that doesn't believe our issues, understand it, articulate it. At the end of the day, we're living in a messaging war. And the person you elect has to believe and articulate your position. I have a column out today. going to put this in writing if you want to read it. That's what we need to strive for. I wouldn't say it can never happen. That's what I would stand behind. But yes, I do believe someone like a Tom Emmer and certainly Kevin Hearn would be better than Scalise and yes, even Jim Jordan. Or perhaps particularly Jim Jordan. So that's the vision I have for today. I just want to dispense of a couple of things. Um, a couple of observations from yesterday. So first of all, just, just again to just show the disagreement over strategy, the irony here, how you know 16 of the intrepid 21 from originally did not join at least the fight at this time. But among the eight, so um, five of the original did. Then you have of the three new ones, so you had Tim Burchett from Tennessee, who is a conservative, did it for the right reasons. But then, ironically, two of the eight were among the just 18 people who just voted to affirm Pride Month in the military, Ken Buck and Nancy Mace. So again, this is a very complicated dynamic. Just wanted to point that out. Um, Number two, you saw some of these women establishment Republicans literally crying on the House floor, shedding tears. Ann Wagner of Missouri, Virginia Fox of North Carolina— and, and and then you saw um what's his name uh um who's that guy um McHenry Patrick McHenry from North Carolina who's who was designated as the speaker pro temp slam the gavel down in anger and I'm looking at the anger from McHenry and the crying from the tears the sadness of some of these women sad day sad day and I'm looking we were raped. With the COVID death numbers, the vaccine death numbers, the border invasion numbers, the budget inflation numbers. There's no tears. There's no sense of urgency, of imminency on that. Okay, fine. You don't want to do this. I, I actually, for our own reasons, strategically didn't want to do that yesterday. Fine. But what is your solution? They don't care. It's amazing to find what they're passionate about. I couldn't believe it. Ann Wagner was saying, she as she was crying, she's saying, I feel bad for all of the staffers that are going to be out of a job, like Kevin McCarthy's staff. Like, look, you could agree or disagree with getting rid of Kevin, but that's the consideration that we shouldn't, if you believe it is right, we shouldn't do it because of the staffers. I mean, this is the, the way these guys think. They're so inside baseball. They can't think beyond, like, oh, my God, what are we going to do? That's not the problem. My Again, my issue is, oh, there's plenty to do. They'll they'll get a speaker and go on with business very quickly. The problem is we have ve- much less leverage to get a good guy and much more likelihood of getting a bad guy 
than had we followed Chip's plan. Just so you know, Chip's entire reason why he didn't support this and many other people is because they didn't want either Kevin McCarthy to have more leverage to stay on or Kevin did one even better. See, had Kevin stayed on, we could have been like, so then all the other guys wouldn't have fought him because they support him and we could have maybe gotten the conference to eventually say, look, he's got to give up and we come in with our guy or consensus guy. But now he just strategically handed it off to the next in line. There also is an outcome that could happen too, which is that Patrick McHenry, people will say, oh, look, he kicked Pelosi out of her office. He's he's actually doing a good job. They'll just say, look, if we can't agree, he'll just either indefinitely be Speaker Pro Tempore for longer than they think, or maybe even nominate him for Speaker du jour. And, and he's also very, very, very bad news. Again, worse than McCarthy, strategically. You saw with that anger, he hates our people. And he's not ambitious because he doesn't really want it. So if he were like, you know, kind of anointed to do it, he would, he would exact revenge on, on our people. He, he would do anything he can. So that, that's just my concern. So I think, to me, you start with these random people, it's going to be even less compelling. A lot, a lot of people think, oh, Chip Roy, come on, Daniel. I, I know that's amazing, but you got to go with more of like a strategic establishment guy that we can work with. No, because no one's going to respect that. At the end of the day, they're going to go with Scalise and Jordan, one of the two. It's better to come and unify in a sane world We'd unify all of the entire talk radio behind him. Unfortunately, we can't have nice things. You know why? Because he doesn't support Trump. It all gets back then. And that's why, also, you have all these people now saying, we need to make Trump speaker. It's like, dude, do you not understand? Trump, would if, if Trump were in a position where he was on the hot seat and had to make a determination on a debt ceiling and a budget deal, he'd be the first to cave... We have proof of concept. He did it as president. He's the biggest cuck. Like, I'm sick of this. I'm sick of this. Like, yeah, he might not be the best guy. Like, you know this whole thing about, oh, you need a King David, a guy that maybe had adultery issues. You know, sometimes it takes a guy with, like, you know, real rough around the edges to do what we want. Ironically, to the extent there's the validity to that argument, you could apply that to a guy like Matt Gates. Trump is a straight-up cuck. I mean, I, I just don't... He, he, he is such a consensus builder. It's not even funny. Do you think he would ever do something like Matt, what Matt Gates did? Or what the 21 originally did? No. He's always like, okay, guys, we, need, we can't have chaos. What's the plan? By the way, I heard that that's what he said to Matt Gates in the phone call they had. He was so concerned about by what follows. And again, not so much from our concern of, you know, we don't want Scalise or Jordan. He would have no problem with that. He just wanted to make sure there's no chaos. It's more the establishment way of thinking. So that's pathetic. Everything has to be Trump. So now he has to be president and speaker. It's just, we got to move beyond this paralysis. And look, I give Matt Gates credit that at least despite what he's doing on that front, 
he's able to go in his own direction on that. You know, didn't listen to Trump. You know, again, I'll take Matt Gates over a typical Trumper and over the establishment, but ultimately, I think there's something even better. And by the way, from what I do here and from what I know, I think Matt Gates himself would be very supportive from what I hear of, of someone like Chip running. The problem is if he doesn't, Matt's just going to feel like, oh my gosh, we need a horse. I can't look like I screwed things up. And I'll just go along with you know, either Scalise or, or Jordan. Um, if Jordan's running, which he is, probably he'll go with Jordan. I think he's already expressed support for him. But, but that's a problem. Um, finally, one more thing, or two more things. So I, Hugh Hewitt and all these guys say, you know, we were on our way to crushing the Democrats, and this is going to make us lose the general election, lose the House. Again, according to 538, in 30 special elections this cycle, special legislative elections, Democrats have overperformed by 11 points. So the status quo wasn't working. Okay, We were not on our way to winning. Right now, Republicans have the lowest common denominator image of the typical establishment and the Trump establishment and the white trash. We're the only ones providing a paradigm shift from that. Okay? So I, I disagree when it's like, oh, we were on our way to... No, no you're not. We badly need surgery. There was a disagreement in what the best way and timing and leader of that surgery is. But it's been done. We got to make the most of it. And finally, I constantly hear this narrative of, I'll tell you this was a leftist thing because all the Democrats supported it. Like this whole thing of you join with the Democrats. Every one of the people making this argument was nowhere to be seen when year after year, and by the way, including Trump, took the most important legislation of our time and joined with 100% of the Democrats. Every budget bill. What do you think just happened with the CR, with the debt ceiling deal? Every single Democrat voted for it. And, and by the way, the difference is, one is, they're, they're on the same side. They're voting for the same reasons. To varying degrees, both the Democrats and the Republicans thought that was a good policy. The CARES Act, the COVID stuff, every budget bill, every debt ceiling bill, every farm bill, every reauthorization bill. They passed with every Democrat. You know, last year, the Chips and Salsa bill empowering the National Science Foundation bill, $500 billion Mitch McConnell and 20 Senate Republicans joining with every Democrat. I never heard you're empowering the Democrats. But then when it comes to leveraging against their joining with Democrats on policy, so we just use the Democrat opposition to any Republican speaker as leverage. We're obviously doing it for different reasons, but nonetheless, it works. Somehow, you're empowering the Democrats. Dude, if you never... Look, I have the right to question the strategic thinking of having Matt Gates as the leader at that time in that moment. But those guys have no right to question it. They're pathetic. If you never, I have written, you could Google it, Daniel Horowitz passing every budget with Democrat support. All the artic articles I've written on that. Years, years I've been making that point. 
that they're passing every major bill with more Democrat than Republican support. And again, who is the king of that? Donald J. Trump. So everyone's all, all over the map here. Everyone's wrong. And some people are saying right things for the wrong reasons, wrong things for the right reasons. On this show, we're going to give you the right vision for the right reasons. You know, I can't speak for other people's talking points. That's why I can't be lumped in with anyone else. We do our own thing here. But I'm not here just to muse and thumb suck. I'm here to give a forward-looking vision. Now that Gates did it and it happened, we need to make the most of it. We need to unite behind Chip Roy as speaker. But again... We'll talk about this more in the coming days. This is about a lot more than speaker. We need to question, what is it? And there's no easy answer. I have another column coming out about changing primaries. Again, re-upping my proposal, changing popular primaries to representative conventions or caucuses. Because a big part of the problem here is, you know, ultimately we're outgunned. There's only about, you know, 40, 50 members loosely who support anything we do. So that's always the problem with a speaker fight, a majority leader vote, majority whip vote. So that is always the issue. How do you get a critical mass of new good guys in one election cycle? We got to change the way we do primaries. So I want to talk about that a little bit more tomorrow. Let me know. Daniel Horowitz at startmail.com. Agree, disagree. Um, Again, no Scalise. No Jim Jordan, no Elise Stefanik, that is for sure. No fake conservative or no Trump fake conservative or Trump rhino or establishment pro-Trump. Those are the worst. Either just get a straight up kind of establishment T guy that's independent that will work with us. But better yet, how about finally trying to get one of our own? You know, at at some point you got to you got to run one of your own. And we never had a guy willing to do that. I believe Chip would do it. Now, Chip's not going to force his way in. Chip doesn't want to create needless division. But if people would unite, I am pretty sure he would run. Um, he would put his name out. Because that was always the problem. The best guys never want power. The best That was always the paradox we had. And it's understandable. But he, he run... I'm sorry, he ran in 2018. He's in his third term. He's built up a lot of, you know, really, even even across the aisle relationships in, in the right way. It, on, I'm not saying it's likely, but it is feasible. It makes sense. But, alas, we probably cannot have nice things. And that's just the way it is. Till tomorrow, God bless y'all. And thank you for listening.